This podcast is part of the Big Heads Media Podcast Network. Go to bigheadsmedia.com for more great podcasts. We are four friends in three states across two time zones with a shared passion. Welcome to the Sports Talk Garage Podcast, where we hit the fast lane to discuss our favorite drives from the track and the ice to the court and the ball fields. We are four lifelong friends who grew up with a love of professional and collegiate sports. Today, we are bankers, investors, professors, and entrepreneurs, but our love of sports has never changed. Come listen for the fun, gain some insight, and probably a few laughs as we give you our perspective on those last lap lead changes, game-winning scores, and franchise players. This is the Sports Talk Garage. Hey, welcome back to Sports Talk Garage podcast. This is your host, Matt. Uh, tonight with me is our other normal co-host, David. So as David has come back from the crud, the plague, the whatever you've had for like the last three weeks, how are you doing, bud? Well, according to you and John, I had the plague. Hope, thankfully, it's not the bubonic plague, but I'm finally <laughs> on the mend, almost back to 100%. I'm just happy to be back, able to actually record and not lay in bed and cough all day. So doing better. Well, hey, man, you can either have the plague or you can have the black spot, your oh, choice. No, thanks. <laughs> Um, John, unfortunately, is not able to attend tonight, so uh, I guess it'll be just us. So hope you'll enjoy the entertainment as David and I bring you episode 25 in season two as we talk about some trades, some changes, some rivalries. We're going to go over kind of how things finished up with our uh, Pick'em series and look at where we're going to go in the future with that as we start a new grouping. Um. Okay, so as we drop the green flag, NBA trade deadline. David, you're kind of our NBA expert. I know you're trying not to talk too much because of the cost, <laughs> so we apologize to the audience ahead of time, but go ahead and tell us a little bit about what's going on in the NBA. And so this past week, uh, I believe it was Thursday, was the trade deadline. I just kind of want to highlight maybe four of those out of the multitude of trades that happened Uh, One of the big ones, the Warriors and Timberwolves obviously made a trade. That was probably one of the top two big trades of the past week. Uh, D'Angelo Russell has been the main player for the Warriors with everybody else out, hurt, whatever. And they traded him for Andrew Wiggins, which he is, I guess, kind of a bust for being a number one overall pick. He hasn't done much for the Cavs, for the Timberwolves, but I think it's a good trade. No, Wiggins isn't made to be that number one score, number one option. He's going to be a great fit as a third option for the Warriors once Clay and Steph get back. And they could be also getting him with picks to maybe trade for the Greek freak in a year or two. So never discount the Warriors for what they're what they have going on. I can totally well, see if that. If you happening. think about it, I if you think about it based on that type of trade, as you said, they probably got him on the cheap, mm-hmm. right? Certainly. Got a great opportunity for the Warriors to have a down year. Yep. And pick up a ton in the year following through the draft. Yeah. I mean, this kind of, I can't remember up. how many, like, don't they have a ton of like round two draft picks? Mm-hmm. Oh, they've got, they're loaded with draft picks. And then obviously they got two all-stars coming back. So that's kind of re- going to revitalize them. Yeah. This is basically take a year off, let somebody else win, come back with a vengeance next year, be right back in the top echelon in the NBA. So I thought it was a great trade for both teams. Obviously D'Angelo Russell, Former All-Star, he'll be happy in Minnesota. I think it's a good pairing both ways. Now, one trade that did not make sense at all, 
uh, kind of close to you, um, Andre Drummond from the Pistons was traded to the Cavs. Don't understand it. He went from one crappy team to another crappy team. But he's amazing. He's leading the league in rebounds. I don't understand why either team decided to do this. It doesn't help anybody other than just maybe salaries being moved around to get somebody off the books a little earlier. Didn't make sense. Andre Drummond obviously thought it didn't make sense. He was a little perplexed, as people could see on social media. Yeah. <laughs> so, I don't know. That's kind of in your area right now with the Pistons and the Cavs, at least uh, geographically. They crossed the border yeah. on 75 <laughs> and went east on 80-90. Not, not too far of a drive. Not too far for you. Now, the third trade I'm excited about. Obviously, Andre Gudala has been on the Grizzlies. Kind of essentially refused to play for them. Didn't want to play for a crappy team. They ended up dealing him down to the heat because Pat Riley is amazing and he can pull off whatever he wants to. So we got him, Solomon Hill, Jay Crowder. Grizzlies got a couple guys. Yeah, it was a perfect match. The Heat are already pretty strong. I can see them possibly contending for number one spot because Philadelphia is not doing it. Obviously, uh, Milwaukee's taking the top spot right now, but I think it's a very formidable team. He's a little older, but you know he's still a great defensive presence. Still shoot the three and be an effective player out on the floor without having to be a number one option. Hmm. Lastly, the crazy trade. Four teams, 12 players, the Rockets, Hawks, Timberwolves, and Nuggets. The crazy part here is the Rockets got rid of their center, Clint Capella. He's out. They're playing small ball. Their, their tallest guy on the floor for their starting five is 6'6", six, six, which is basically <laughs> you, man. That's basically you starting that's out a, as their center. That's a so, shooting guard. That's a shooting guard in today's NBA, and they're playing small <laughs> ball. They don't play defense. They're just hoping to outshoot the other team and – it might work for a few games in the regular season, but once you get to the playoffs and things slow down, you're going to get creamed. It's going to be embarrassing. That's painful. Oh, it's my painful. goodness. So I'm excited to see how it works. Obviously, we're going to shoot threes. Russell Westbrook will probably be driving and getting fouled and falling on the floor the whole time. I thought it was a horrible trade for the Rockets, but they're all in on small ball and three-point shooting. I mean, whatever <clears throat> makes them happy. Again, maybe they're doing a load them up you know, when you see these yeah. kind of changes going on, it's always a consistent look at what's your long game. Now, if it's the yeah. Hornets, you just say, well, I guess we're in for another year. But, you know, most of these oh, other big teams that have good history and mm-hmm. have made playoff runs or championship runs, you kind of want to look at the ownership and say, what's the long game? Yeah. And just Absolutely. be privy to that. Because when you're playing that short, short ball, there's – I mean, correct me if I'm wrong. There's got to be something strategy you would hope, right? Yeah, well, with their coach, D'Antoni, I mean, he was the big on the whole seven seconds and under when he was the coach of the Suns 10 years ago, which was fun and exciting to watch. So I think it's partially him, just his style of play that he likes. You know what? They almost Explain made the seven to... seconds and under just for yeah, people so, who may not know that. So back when he was coaching the Suns with Steve Nash and Amari Stoudemire, a few other big guys, the goal was to get down the floor and score within seven seconds. Basically just run past everybody, get a shot up, get an alley-oop, get back on defense. And kind of the same thing. basically old fast breaks. Just get out there and outscore your opponent, screw defense. So that's the same mantra he's doing right now, which will be fun to watch, but not effective in the playoffs. Probably not. Probably not. Take so, a couple good defenders mm-hmm. and you're in trouble. Well, yeah. let's let's move on just a little bit. It was. Did you have anything else you want to add? No, since you mentioned the Hornets, disappointing as always. So nothing there. <laughs> <laughs> nothing going on other than cutting players, right. and yeah, they suck. 
So interesting moves going on inside of the NFL, not so much in the trading or pickup players as uh, season's over at this point. But uh, Jaguars announcing back-to-back home games in London in 2020. That's uh, crazy. They've been building this <laughs> this fandom. I mean, mm-hmm. we, we talked about this in a prior episode, right? So you've got Americans that are over there, or they've got those packages where you can go you know, fly over, stay in the hotel, do some touring, mm-hmm. see the game. You know, it's, it's a great way for them to build some media, but uh, how, at this point, how far off are we from actually having a team located maybe even two in Europe? Gosh, well, I think this will kind of play into the logistics of it. You know, they're just going to stay in London for about a week and a half, get over there a few days earlier to adjust to the time frame, stay there during the week, logistics come in of traveling but also you know hotels having to find a place to practice where to store all the equipment so it's an interesting concept and i think it's probably just uh nobody likes the jaguars unless you're in jacksonville so they're the perfect team to try this out they've been in london before but just see how feasible is it for a team to maybe be there for two weeks in a row and fly back what is due to your body the equipment staff how do they manage everything so it's I know I could see that a team being in London probably within five years if the NFL really wants it and pushes for it. So I'm curious because, as you mentioned, the you know finding a place to practice, I would assume there's plenty of soccer pitches. Oh, I'm sure. Since they don't really have the whole football thing over there, football. You know, there's got to be enough soccer pitches around, whether they're outdoor, indoor, whatever. But how do you set up the? hash lines and other lines that have no soccer relation whatsoever i have no idea maybe you're bringing over some really long tape and just tape down the field because <laughs> i mean these hey, guys have to practice your, too we're gonna need your maintenance guys to come out here and respray <laughs> the field spray it green now come out here and hit us with new hash lines what is this football mess we don't understand yeah. you want ash line what are these hash, hash lines, lines? hash yeah. hash what's like green eggs? hash what <laughs> what are we talking about here bangers and mash yeah we know that (laughs) yeah so it's going to be a a fun adjustment for this and the jaguars definitely have their work cut out for them but it'll be interesting to see you know two sundays in a row jaguars playing you know that they're essentially london's team they've been over there more than any other team so it's a good fit for years yeah right always going to london um i do feel bad curious go ahead all right so i was going to i do feel bad for the actual Season ticket holders in Jacksonville, they are losing out on two of the eight games during the season. So they're the ones getting screwed. Well, you would hope that they would adjust that or tell them, hey, here's a discounted rate if you want to fly over. But, you know, discounted rate on on transport versus the cost of a ticket is a heck of a Mm. difference. Oh, certainly. Yeah, I I don't know. I mean, some people can probably do it. It's a good point, though. Some people, though, they can't afford it after season tickets and whatever else they have going on in life. So I wonder how they're going to compensate for that. That could be a huge difference uh, in the game. Uh, you know, I'm, I'm also kind of curious, as you mentioned, what your research is going to be on these guys, because I'm sure we won't see it this year. We'll see it in 2021 when they kind of get done putting together what all happened while they were spending mm-hmm. the two weeks over there. Like they were more fatigued or when they came back, they played like, uh, trash because yeah. they were fully adjusted to the Europe time schedule. And, mm-hmm. you know, okay. I'm just curious. So that'll be fun. 
I can't imagine every media outlet sending a writer over to kind of follow them around for the week to have a good piece to write up afterwards. So those will be those will be good to read after after they're back Absolutely. and have them out. Uh, so continuing on with the football aspect, the XFL. Mm, Mr. McMahon it. bringing on the uh, bringing back the XFL league. Did you get to catch any games? So I did get to see part of one game. Um, yeah, it was exciting. I was I reserved optimism after what happened with the AAF. I was a little a little weary. Of, was this actually going to last? Is it? But I mean, it has the financial backing of McMahon, who's worth like two point two billion dollars or so. He even said he's willing to lose, you know, a couple hundred million the first few seasons just to get it going, which is encouraging to hear. Not that he's losing money, but he's willing to stick it out. So I like no, the aspect. No, but think about it. That's That's been a major problem for any expansion team was yeah. the money. The like you can set up an offer, whatever you want, but mm-hmm. if you can't back that up and make it happen, then, then you're going to go the way the AF and you're out. But one thing I, I really loved about this, you know, the kickoff rules were different. It was neat seeing, and there were a lot of returns. But also the fact that, you know, after a kicker misses a field goal, something, somebody fumbles a ball. A reporter's there like, hey, so how did it feel missing that field goal? Like three seconds afterwards, which I thought was pretty cool that we're getting like a live reaction from these athletes who made a mistake on the field. And we're seeing, you know, in the heat of the moment, how they're feeling, which I thought was really cool. And then also, you know, we're hearing the play calls live, which I thought was really neat hearing that. And yes. Everything. No you know, more like, hiding wow. behind. No more hiding behind the Waffle House no. menu. You have to uh, actually sit there and hear what's going on, which is also yeah. kind of cool because think about it. You're hearing what the quarterback hears. Yeah. So it's now really... as he's turning around in the huddle and yelling what's going on to the to the players, mm-hmm. you can see his reaction off of that. Here's my question: How easy does that make? <laughs> all of your um, game tape when you just go on to watch the live (laughs) production and say this, this, this play and this, this, this." you kind of get, it's a totally different game, but I'm Mm -hmm. curious if that's going to last or if you're going to have the coaches saying, you know, part of this is being able to set up an offense or a defense that is a surprise to the other team. It's not just the players, it's the strategy. And now they know our entire gameplay. I I can imagine defensive coordinators just drooling over this after hearing, you know, whatever team they have coming up this week, just go back and watch your game from last week. And you see what formation they're lining up in. And okay, it's probably going to be this play. So it it definitely adds some strategy to it. Offense has to be innovative. So you're not just doing the same, I know 40 plays every week. The defense will catch on. So, yeah, I can also see kind of feels like the Houston Astros and their whole cheating scandal. I don't <laughs> want anything to happen. I mean, it seems so easy for just somebody to pick up something, relay it in. It's like, hey, guys, they're doing this play, so just be ready. Right. It kind of takes the guessing right. out. But I don't know. It's new. It's cool. And it keeps fans you know, into it because you just want to see what's going to happen. Well, I'm also kind of thinking about the aspect of as you're scouting the other team i mean honestly you can almost just do a record at home of the other mm-hmm. games and watch and know exactly what's going on. like you said yep. as a coordinator um for any of our fans that aren't aware of how football gets scouted um generally especially as you get into the college rounds this is the professionals they've got cameras everywhere uh generally you're going to get a breakdown of a sideline view a back view, whether you're, you know, behind the offense or the defense, doesn't matter. It's a high enough view that you can see exactly what's going on. Um, and then that tape gets broken down 
per position unit. So the line, the receivers, the quarterback, the running backs, whether they put those guys together in different groupings, but they can see and break down film and it'll say, you know, third and 10 up at the top. And so that they can start breaking down what are their tendencies as the coordinators, um, you know, as the quarterback, the, the skill positions. So now that you have that, how hard do you really have to spend the time uh, you know, having somebody break down that film. You used to do that at Liberty, didn't you? Yeah. So during my graduate degree, I interned with the football team there. And part of most of my job was, you know, film and editing. So we'd go to practice, film everything. And as soon as practice was done, we'd have to sprint back into the film room, cut up all the tape, send it out to each position coach while they ate dinner, which kind of sucked at the same time because <laughs> they're eating dinner and we're working. But they wanted to have that film cut in, you know, to their email by the time they were done with dinner. And I learned a lot just doing that along with everybody else in the room, but it was really fun. But yeah, just like you said, you had that side view from the sideline and then the back view, offense or defense, depending which way they're going, who you're filming. It was a lot of fun. I really enjoyed it. But yeah, there's a lot of scouting and a lot of videotape coaches and players have to watch to prepare for the upcoming opponent. So it'll be interesting to see this week as the XFL goes back in on how fast they can make adjustments Yeah, because of this. You know the you know the play they're calling, and even think about this. You know it's not like because everybody tries to find a way whether they send in a play runner to tell them, or if it's you know in the pros they've got the headset mic. Um, you know in college whether they hold up a sign that's got the four mm-hmm. different things on it. So this is just going to be yeah. a whole new world. You can see the guy's mouth moving. You can hear what the plays are right there. So we'll, I mm-hmm. guess we'll see. This is definitely built more to be an offensive game. But Certainly. it was neat to hear uh, Greg Olson, uh, mm-hmm. one of our hometown heroes out of Charlotte, as one of the commentators. So, you know, good luck to him as he's kind of been looking at that realm over the last couple of years um, and hear his breakdown of things. It was a very exciting. Yeah. I will say probably my favorite thing. Did you – which game did you watch? Oh, gosh. Um, Houston and whoever Houston played. I do not remember. It was, okay. it was entertaining, though. So they played L.A. Wildcats. Yes. I caught right. some of the D.C. defenders okay. playing Seattle. Um, and I want to say, I believe it was D.C. Uh, they threw a about 20 to 30-yard ball over the top to, I believe the receiver was kind of the slot guy. He, mm-hmm. he was a shorter guy, a lot of ups, not afraid to go after the ball. And they even interviewed him right after the play where he caught a big pass. And they said, you know, what is your thoughts on this? And he's like, I looked at the quarterback. I said, I, I've been a quarterback in the past. I know what you're looking for, which is a, qu- or a wide receiver that, that's going to go get the ball. Throw me the ball. I'm going to go get it. So he's not there afraid to go get it. Now, here's the kicker. He has had three separate ACL replacement surgeries and a broken spine. Oh, gosh. And the play that was the big play, I mean, the quarterback literally put it up and over, which I believe is Cordell Jones at D.C. So former um, Former Ohio State, former Ohio State Chargers and Bills. Yeah. Right. And he's right around the corner from, you know, Washington Redskins, which you know, has another Ohio state Mm -hmm. set of guys right now. 
But anyway, so he throws a football up in kind of like that honey dip arc, and it comes down nice and smooth right over a defender's hands, right into this guy's hands, another defender right behind him. I mean, it was like he just perfectly laced it right into this guy in between three defenders as he jumped backwards to catch it. I mean, it was just a gorgeous catch. There's a lot of talent in the XFL. I mean, there's a lot of former NFL players playing here to just keep playing or try to revitalize their career and get picked up. So, I mean, there is solid talent out on the field, which keeps things interesting. Absolutely. So let's go ahead and do a quick break. And when we come back, we're going to do the Duke versus UNC game. I know we've got some stuff to talk about there. And then we'll go over our next set of predictions. All right, and welcome back uh, to the second half of our episode. Um, again, we'd like to thank our sponsors for their time and helping support the podcast. Uh, again, as our audience, we'd love to hear from you. So if you have any questions or um, would like to be part of the show, uh, you know, tell us what you think. We'd love to hear from you. Uh, we'll go over how to get in touch with us again at the end of the show, or you can go into the information side of uh, whatever podcast form you're listening to us on there's ways to contact us there so we talked a couple different things going on everything from the nba to the nfl to the xfl let's talk some uh some current happenings going on inside of college hoops because college hoops is at a good time right now march is around the corner it's coming it's lots coming. of crazy changes get your bracket ready it's dude i'm so ready <laughs> so uh, for us, for us as a group, okay, at, at the Sports Talk Garage, I think this is probably one of the biggest points in our years watching the UNC versus mm. Duke game. Mm. Always so, a good time. Absolutely. So last week, uh, we had Duke traveling over to Chapel Hill, and I've always kind of had a feeling that unless one of the teams is just beyond dominant right Mm -hmm. it feels like somehow the other the opposite team whoever the away team is will beat the other at home they don't it it doesn't matter how strong the crowd is because both 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 arenas and duke is a small arena Mm -hmm. it's really loud and it is super intense for the fans so that's really really cool but I guess, Dave, what were your kind of thoughts on the game as a whole? Man, well, kind of like you said, the away team always does well. And it doesn't really matter how well or poor UNC or Duke is playing in a season. They are always both hyped up for this game. And it's just like they both have their A game on for this. And especially the first one. Especially the first one of the two for the season. Yeah, I mean, eight miles apart, I think this is probably the best basketball rivalry in existence. It's gone back so far. Just the closest of, I think, over the last 50 games, not including this past Sunday, they're 50, I'm choosing 100 games, they're 50 and 50, and they've each scored the exact same amount of points. So, I mean, it's always close. It's always wow. just get your heart pumping for it. But yeah, this game, it was, I mean, as a Tar Heel fan, it was great until like the last four minutes or so. And UNC just kind of fell apart. I mean, both teams were playing well, but UNC had a lead the majority of the game. Then all of a sudden, Duke just, I don't know what Coach K said to them, but they got a fire in them, and they just started coming back. And at the time, I was like, you know what? There's plenty of time on the clock. We're wasting some time. It's okay. But Cole Anthony kept falling. 
there were turnovers. They stopped hitting shots, and Duke just clawed their way back in. And all of a sudden, that last free throw, he missed, got the rebound, and the shot that's into overtime, and I was just in disbelief sitting there. It's like, how in the world did they come back on a last-second shot after a missed free throw to go to overtime and then lose in overtime? Oh, my gosh. It was heartbreaking. Okay, so the fun for us is always in the fact that there are giant text messages going back and forth. <laughs> Always. Uh, and there's plenty of gifts going on and memes and anything else. And I'm the only Duke fan in the group. So, you know, I get bombarded as, you so should. as I'm watching the game and trying to, uh, you know, keep up on what's going on in between my son running around and everything else. I'm texting a couple friends that are Duke fans and we're all just nail biting and going, this is not because Chapel Hill really had control of the game. Mm-hmm. Almost the entire game. Duke would pull within a couple points, get a small lead and then give that up. Um, you know, I thought it was really well played back and forth. There wasn't, uh, you know, a ton of like ridiculous fouls or, you know, close calls on that type of thing where people are playing, kind of dirty because they've done that in the past a lot it's just a rivalry but both sides of the ball were really good uh the biggest problem i think for the tar heels that could have completely changed the games were the uh the free throws free throws were 38 terrible they could have just made their free throws we wouldn't even been close to an overtime 21 of 38 i mean that's what like 60 percent maybe horrible and they're usually a decent free throw shooting team and they just they were just off all night i have no well, idea and why. speaking of free throws there was an interesting moment where uh there was a foul it, who who got fouled david where he had to leave the court oh. for instead of free throws one of the one of the guys from chapel hill gets fouled he gets hit in the eye he has to leave the court and the old rule states and and the announcer oh, or i should say the, the, the tv rep it's just saying this is the worst rule. It makes no sense. And I'm not arguing it. Oh, uh, you know, this thing needs to go. Basically, the, the the offending team gets to pick who they who they want. Now, I don't think Coach K would ever encourage that. But, I mean, you're in a close game. It's like hit that dude in the eye. <laughs> hit the dude in the eye. We don't, the we don't want him shooter. shooting. We're going to go pick the terrible guy that hasn't hit Jack all night. Yeah. And regardless of the teams, I don't understand why – the team that the offending team gets rewarded by picking the crappiest free throw shooter on the floor when something like that happens. Right. That does not make any sense. But you're right. It could be like a, hey, just go get him out of the game for a player or two so we can pick somebody they'll miss. We get the ball back. I don't know where that originated right. or why. That's horrible. So, I mean, and I forget, they went over some other rules that, you know, kind of play around that fact. But this is just one of those odd yeah. rules that got put in years ago and has never really been changed. So that was kind of odd. Uh, and then following up to that, David sends me a text and says, hey, did you find the game? <laughs> and I'm sitting here nail biting is I think we're down about 12 points. And John comes across and starts saying, David, keep your mouth shut. Next thing you know, Juke oh, uh, gets a free throw, throws it off of the rim somehow recovers, drives the ball in, takes a shot from the elbow and puts it into so tie. I mean, I'm sitting down in my no basement defense. watching this screaming and my wife sticks her head downstairs. Are you okay? No, I'm great. 
so then we get into the overtime bit mm. and the piece that cost them the game mm-hmm. referee completely missing a call and from most oh, angles I, I mean you kind of have to look at where they were standing because in sure. fast motion that's kind of a hard call but then they go to the screen and they were checking to see who last touched the ball because and I thought the commentary was really good because they were really kind of describing, you know, this is what these guys are allowed to do. This is, you know, for review. And and at that point, they're not allowed to go back and see if they made the right call. They can only go off of who touched the ball mm-hmm. last because it was a foul on Duke. Yeah. Um, but at fast pace, when you're watching that, it didn't look like that. It just looked like he was playing for the ball and just made connection. Um, so after Duke gets the ball back, it turns into a, a you know, scramble for Trey Jones. Mm-hmm. So Vernon Carey Jr. gets fouled out. And what class for that young man. Walks over, shakes Roy Williams' hand on the way out, you know, and then goes and sits on the bench. Tell me the last time that any Duke or Carolina player has done that after fouling out in that big of a game. Dude, I don't know. But, I mean, that Never? Was... <laughs> <laughs> Probably not. Yeah, probably not. So, so anyway, very cool game. Definitely a nail-biter for both sides. John obviously came across after uh, Carolina lost and blamed David for the entire thing since David has anything since to do with it. it's my fault. But let's be honest, it was a lot of fun. And, you know, I kind of wish we had a way for everybody. I feel like maybe we should just be tweeting ourselves back and forth with all of our <laughs> stupidity. Because we we literally were just throwing out the dumbest stuff we Everything. could. Yeah. So <laughs> it just gets fun about that and how again all the memes and stuff that go back and forth. What's well, a tar what? heel? You're a dookie. You know, what I mean, it just yeah. all gets fun. It's okay, cause we're gonna come to Durham pretty soon. And we're just gonna hand it back <laughs> to you. So it's all right. I got faith. We still have another game to go. And as long as we beat Duke, it doesn't matter how crappy the season's going, it's always a good feeling to beat Duke. And the Tar Heels have had a crappy season. So, they were not making the NCAA tournament. I don't even know if they'll make the NIT. So, that's what my hope is going to be for them. Just beat Duke, and that'll make it the whole season worth it right now. If you say so. (laughs) Yeah, hopefully. (laughs) Hopefully. It's a down year. I'm surprised Roy Williams has even said, you know, this is the worst group he's had in a long time, and like he's just pissed yeah. at all. All right. So with that, that's kind of what's been going on in sports. Let's talk a little bit about our predictions as mm. we're dropping the white flag on this point. Um, first of all, just to go back over our first set of standings, Chris actually beat everybody. Oh. I couldn't keep up. 51 to 36 and two David and I somehow David came from way behind and tied with me for second at 44 43 and two and uh, John got the low end of the pole 42 45 and two (laughs) so with that being said we're going to start a new series uh, since we've got a lot of other sports we can kind of cover in various places um, and we're going to try to have a listener slash guest running total. So I think we're going to try and put out on Twitter. Is that mm-hmm. right? Yep. You want to tell us a little bit more about that? I'll let you kind of. Yeah. So as the four of us get these games every week from Chris, the producer, uh, we're also going to put them out on Twitter, leave them up for probably 24 hours and you, the listeners get to be the fifth option here. So you're going to see if you can beat us, you 
you know, clobber us if we're smarter than you, whatever happens, just a little more competition to get you involved and see, you know, is it maybe you should go to Vegas and start betting on some games, see if you do better than we do. Is this is this kind of like our version of Are you smarter than a fifth grader? Like, can you please pick? Are you better smarter than, than the co-host? The four of us, <laughs> dum dums. Right. So we're gonna see what happens there, and hopefully you guys do well. But we're still determined to win each of us. So see how that goes. Absolutely. All right. So let's see if we can knock Chris off. Week one, we're gonna start with NASCAR. Mm, uh, Daytona 500 is on Sunday mm. on Fox at 2:30. Uh, which team will have the winning driver? You've got Joe Gibbs Racing, Penske Racing, Hendrick Motorsports, mm. or the field. Gosh, that's tough. You know, you got three of the biggest teams out there. And obviously, the field has a lot more people, but you got some top drivers on those teams. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, There's like been it's... a lot of changing around and placement mm. uh, for top drivers. Yeah. And, you know, with Kyle Busch being a head runner of the last several years and driving for Joe Gibbs. Mm -hmm. Penske has kind of a mix of middle to top with Brad Keselowski, Joey Logano, Ryan Blaney, and then Austin Sindrick. Uh, Hendrick has had several different drivers kind of popping in and out. Um, I'm trying to think who's Jimmy Johnson. Is Jimmy back this year? Back for one last season, I believe. Okay. So, you know, and uh, what? Chase Elliott and uh, Alex Bowman and William Byron. So those are the majors, or you can have the field. David, how do you feel about this? So this one's tough. I can see any of these three teams taking it, but I feel like I'm going to go with Joe Gibbs. I feel like he always fields a good team. You know, this is one of the big races of the season. It starts out in NASCAR, essentially, for the year. I think they want to put on a good showing, so I'm going Joe Gibbs racing. Okay. What did Chris have to say? He's Chris He is... and John are kind of our big NASCAR guys. <laughs> so Chris is going Penske racing, so he's going to be a little different there. And John actually picked the field, which I'm surprised. He's going with the field for this one. Well, so... Over the last several years, uh, Joe Gibbs had Denny Hamblin in 19, Austin Dillon for Richard Childress, Kurt Busch before that, Stuart Haas, and then back to Denny Hamlin. So over the last several years, Denny Hamlin's kind of been the, the we'll call it defending champion, uh, and he's basically the field this year. So I'm going to call the field as well. Ooh, okay. That sounds good. So we're split overall, which I like. Yep. Um, now on to the XFL, since we've had one game under our belt. Uh, who will cover? St. Louis Battlehawks are going to be at the Houston Roughnecks on Sunday at 6 o'clock on Fox Sports 1. I will say that's kind of the annoying part is unless you have a cable provider or someplace mm-hmm. to really get these. Some of these games are in places where you're not going to – they don't have that full TV time yet. Yeah. yeah, it's a startup um, one. Got to say, I do love the names of these teams, though. They're awesome. Oh, yeah. Battlehawks, the Roughnecks. The, ba- mm-hmm. uh, the Roughnecks are favored by 8.5. So it's kind of that question of can St. Louis uh, catch up here? What did, what did John have to say? 
So John is going Houston for the Roughnecks. I think I'm going to okay. go Houston as well. Uh, they had a very dominant first game, hoping it translates into another one. You know, eight and a half for a normal NFL game is a lot. But since you can get a, you know, essentially nine points out of a touchdown, I mean, it's less than a touchdown if you do it right. So I think it's right. good. I'm going Roughnecks. Well, the Roughnecks, Roughnecks had the highest scoring yeah. of the week last week. Not that anybody knows what that means yet, but <laughs> well, not yet, but that's what I'm basing this guess off of. So John and well, I are I'll be Houston. different. I'll be different, and I'll say St. Louis. I watched okay. part of their game. They'll probably lose this one, but again, they just have to keep it within eight and a half. Yeah. So, <clears throat> well, you and Chris are going St. Louis there, so we got a two-two split here. There you go. Uh, PGA Tour. Uh, for the Genesis Open, which pair will have the lower combined scores for the tournament? Because remember, when you go for golf scores, it's low, not high. Um, let's see. Number one, Rory McIlroy and Tiger Woods. Okay. Or number two, John, I can't remember. Is it Ram or Rom? John, John Rom. Rom. Yeah. John Rom and Justin Thomas. Ooh. So. I hopefully will get to watch a little bit of this on Sunday. And these guys are the top four players in the tournament. So each kind of has that X factor. You know, Tiger Woods, if his back holds up, he's going to do well. But that always seems to be, you know, a question going into any tournament with him. I feel like it's hard uh, to bet against Tiger. And, you know, Rory's always good. But if Tiger's back holds up, I feel like they can Rory's consistent. Yeah, Rory is very consistent, and I think Tiger's been strong. He's been – he had a good season last year. You didn't hear much of him in the news medical-wise in their offseason, so hopefully he's still healthy. And it's hard for me to bet against Tiger, so I'm going with Rory and Tiger on this one. I'm going to agree with you on that. I, I think it's hard to bet against Sunday Tiger, especially with how he's been playing and with Rory being his – consistency counterpart i'm, I'm gonna go with age and experience here okay well we're gonna get another 2-2 split because john and chris are both going uh john and justin there all right fair enough so, um so last game of the week is gonna be the nba all-star game uh we're gonna look at the over under which is at 298 mm. i mean we know this is the all-star mm-hmm. game so it's just no defense. drive and shoot drive <laughs> there's your seven second rule drive and shoot yep. <laughs> yep, there it is. Now, 298's a lot. Last year, I think it, the total was like 317 or 318, so I mean, definitely doable. One thing that's kind of got me irked a little bit, I want to go under since they changed the format for this one to honor Kobe Bryant. It's kind of like four separate mini games combined into one, and essentially yep. the fourth quarter. It's basically get 24 points onto the highest score, and that's it which is really going to limit that fourth quarter because the game just stops since there's no timer there. And I feel like that's going to limit, you know, the amount of scoring cause it's just the 24. So I'm going under on this. Uh, you know, I'm just going to go the opposite just because it's, I, I, again, you're probably right because of the format change, but I'll say over just because it's okay. the all-star game and who knows, maybe that offers them the ability to really just keep driving and shooting. Yeah. Well, we're going to be on an island this time. John and Chris both going under on this one. Hey! We'll but you know with, what? Uh, we'll go with that the could be a point. Grouping. So There you go. Okay. 
Well, we are officially in season right, two so... of our prediction challenge and getting the audience involved. This should be fun to see how this comes out in a few weeks. Season like, Oh, I'm super excited with that. Uh, so with that, let's go ahead and drop the checkered flag. Anything good going on this week for you, David? I know we're recording a little bit later in the week than we're used to. Oh, gosh. Well, heading to uh, Raleigh this weekend. So not quite sure what I'll be able to watch, depending on how busy we are. Hopefully get some time in on Daytona 500, kick it off NASCAR. And I probably would want to watch some PGA anyway. So maybe if I just sneak it on my phone, even if it's not on TV, I'll try to get that <laughs> in. But yeah, going out of town for the weekend, see some family. So it'll be good. There you go. Um, yeah, I don't, I don't know that I have a whole lot going on this weekend. It's going to be more of just a, you know, kind of play it as it goes. But as you said, uh, football's on, NASCAR's on, golf's on. It's it's a very hodgepodge. And then, of course, anything going on inside the NCAA as we kind of come mm-hmm. down. And I just had a score alert pop up that Louisville is trailing uh, Georgia Tech in the final minutes. Mm. So that could be a major upset. So it, it's always this, – this is definitely the exciting time of year. Yeah, um, even football. We don't have to say bye bye to football till you know August. We've got something to hold us over for a little bit. That's right. So with that, let's go ahead and break up for the week. Uh, we definitely hope that you, as our listeners, will uh, come in and tell us what you think. Uh, give us kind of what your predictions are based on what what you see out there and we certainly hope that you'll touch base and beat us as we go into our predictions but chris is definitely standing tall with his wins and we'll play through with that um with that being said checkered flag uh david is great to have another episode with you and we hope you guys have another great week see you next week guys out Thank you for listening to today's podcast. If you'd like to have your sports-related question or comment featured on the show, please email us at sportstalkgarage at gmail.com. Also, if you want to keep up to date with us outside of the show, please follow us on Twitter at sportsgaragepod. If you enjoy the show, please drop us a five-star review and subscribe if you want to hear more. So for Chris back in the studio, David and Matt, I'm John, and we are the Sports Talk Garage.